Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. This podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. My topic for this hour is the power of surveys. We're going to talk about surveys with your community, surveys with your employees, ways for you as a manager, supervisor, director, or leader to use survey information to make good changes, smart moves, and make changes that are supported by the culture of the organization because we have asked them, the employees in general, and in particular certain questions that can help us pin down what we need to do. Very specific data that we can use to make the correct changes in our work environment. One of the things that I've done in my consulting practice for decades now is something called an EQWL questionnaire or the Employee Quality of Work Life questionnaire. Employee Quality of Work Life is a phrase which you see in surveys all the time that looks at how employees see their jobs, how they perceive their jobs, how they want to be treated, what things they, they want changed in the organization, etc. I'll give you some samples and also talk about the survey process. These are anonymous surveys. We collect the information. We don't care where it came from. Uh, we tell employees, look, if you have a sig significant concern about the things that are happening at work, where you, how you are being treated or mistreated, you've got to come and tell us. Don't use the survey to talk about sexual or racial harassment or something serious like that. You have to come and speak to us about that. But the survey process itself gives employees through the questions and the equals survey I have done is either 25 or 50 questions depending upon the complexity of the project we're working on. It also has a space in there for comment questions where we can get a lot of information from employees about how they feel about the organization and more detail and they can expand on what they put in the uh, one through five, you know, strongly disagree at number five all the way down to strongly agree at, at number five and three is in the middle with neutral and two and four around it. Um, they can use the comments piece to really give us more data and more information specifically about things that they want to see differently or changes that they want to make. One of the reasons I use a survey process in making leadership changes or policy changes or training changes or things like that in a library organization is I go back to what my dad has told me so many years ago. My father's name is Carl with a K, last name Albrecht, same as mine. Uh, my dad's a, a guru and a Mensa guy and a very smart man in terms of understanding the future of organizations and what we should be doing, especially when it comes to leadership. And he always says, prescribing without assessment is malpractice, meaning making changes, big or small, at the management level without assessing what's going to happen to the organization, assessing how employees will feel about these changes is malpractice. Sometimes you see this in organizations where people make changes seemingly willy-nilly without any thought process to it. They have to come back later and unfix that or unchange what they've created because it caused such a controversy. That doesn't mean we should be afraid to make change changes. It sh it, what it simply means is we need to do a better job of assessing the overall culture, work culture, and climate inside organizations before we make changes. And one of the easiest ways and best ways to do that is through the survey process. One of the things that makes the equals or employee quality of work life survey so effective is it's anonymous. And what we say to people in the library environment is we just want your information. We don't want your name. Uh, if you want to put what department you work in, that's great. So we can narrow things down by branch or by department. That's helpful. But what we're looking for is honesty. And what we want people to say is I'm not going to be punished, not putting my career or my work relationships 
in jeopardy because of the answers that I've given here. And we give people an opportunity at the end of the survey to write comments, as many comments or the depth of comments as that they want to put in there, because sometimes the comment questions can be very useful and, and things that we did not cover in the actual survey process itself can be covered in the comments. So the anonymous nature of surveys is really important. And then the second key piece for that is that we have to be fairly concise and rapid in our turnaround of the data. You may have seen situations in your own career where you filled out some sort of survey for management. Maybe it was a 360 survey, and we'll talk about those a little bit, uh, or some other kind of survey where they're trying to get your opinion about something and you never hear the answers, or you hear the answer six months after you took the survey and you don't even remember what it was all about. One of the examples I've seen in this situation is through the post office. The post office does or did at, at some point in time, I'm not sure they still do it, a employee quality of work life survey for the 1.2 million people that work at the post office during Christmas time, about 800,000 during the rest of the year. It's the largest civilian employer we have in the United States. And, and they did a survey of employees, you know, kind of a similar quality of work life survey, which took a year to process the results. They actually gave the employees time off to do the survey process on working time, and I think it took about a half hour, 45 minutes for them to do the survey, and then it took so long to process the results because there's so many people. And by the time they finished processing the results and they had the answers from the survey, it was time to do the survey again. That's not the way to run the railroad. Surveys can be challenging in the design. We can make compound questions. We can ask questions that are too complex. We can ask questions that are too surface and don't give us any information. We can ask questions that are confusing to the person who's looking at it. There's lots of errors that we can make in the survey design process, much less in the survey tabulation process. We need to be pretty specific and clear, and whether we use something like SurveyMonkey Online or another software program that's your favorite for surveys or use a, an already existing one that you can do online, we have to be really clear with the results that we get so we make sure that what we're reporting to back to the employees is accurate. There's a sense sometimes in management that the employees should not be able to know what it is that we ask them in the questions in terms of the survey results, which is ridiculous. They're entitled to the information, good or bad. Sometimes management looks at a survey process, the project itself, and, and, and watches the process and looks at the answers coming in and goes, oh, no, we, we, we can't report this to the employee. There's some bad news here. Well, let's be honest and tell the employees what, what each of them may be thinking because there could be some general themes, some very specific themes that come off that are negative that we need to address. And there's some things that are very specific to how they're treated, there are opportunities for advancement, things like that, which we want to be able to report back to them. In my perfect world, when it comes to the survey process, we would be tabulating the results very quickly and getting at least an overview report out to them as soon as we can. may not have all the specifics, you know, statistical breakdowns and things like that, but an overview report to them with a collection of as many comment questions as we can put in there, especially for those things that, that involve themes, stuff that we want to discuss as a group, discuss as an employee group, discuss as a management group, as a leadership group, to see which kind of changes we need to make. And sometimes the comment questions can be very useful. I'll give you a parallel on my work as a security consultant. I go to libraries many times and I will do a site security assessment and I will do a security survey of the employees 
before I begin the walkthrough that I do sometimes with management or a facilities person or HR or, or somebody who's connected to the, the building itself, before I do that walkthrough with those folks, I will do the employee security survey, and I put those questions in the back of my the appendix of my library security book. That's the ALA book I did in 2015, so you can get them there. And I think there's also an article, uh, a blog published on Library 2.0 that you can get that has these security survey questions in it as well. And the reason I ask the security survey questions of the employees at the library is before I start walking around with my pad and asking questions about where does this door go to and who has the key and what's the access code for this and how do you get on the roof and all the questions I ask in the physical security assessment process, I want to know what concerns the employees. Is it lighting in the parking lot? Is it lighting in the, in the elevators? Is it the stairwells? Is it uh, entrance and exit you know, through the back doors to come in? Is it, is it um, the, how we keep the doors locked inside the facility to keep people from tresp trespassing back into our employees-only places? If I have that data before I do the security assessment process, obviously it makes me look smarter because I just focus on those things that the employees tell me are the biggest concerns for them. So when I look at the, the survey process for employee quality of work life, we have more of an open mind to say, well, we, we have some maybe some guesses and some estimates, some uh, assessments as what employees may answer for certain questions, but we really don't know until they do. So the key there is to keep an open mind and say, okay, um, whatever we gather as information is what we gather as information. We're not trying to to change the perception of people to say, let's take out the stuff that's bad, Let, let's eliminate the things that are negative and, and just focus on the positive. That's not fair to the people that did the survey. It's also not fair to the process of making changes. We want to be realistic in what we're, we're focusing on. If there are some things that need to be fixed, there are some things that need to be fixed. It's as simple as that. So the timeliness of the information, the response in getting back the data to the, the people that took the survey is important. The quality of the survey questionnaire, the quality of the, of the results is important. And then the, the third critical factor there is that we actually make changes that people suggest. And some things may be easy to fix and some things can be, can be handled with a stroke of a pen, a change in policy, a change in a protocol, how we do things. Uh, other things may take more discussion, more discussion with the leadership team or more discussion with the employees or employee groups, even if they're union issues and things like, like that that may be connected, where we, it may take longer to make those types of changes. But what we're looking at is some things are kind of low-hanging fruit that we can pick off and do for the employees in a way that says, hey, management is listening to us. There's some responsiveness here. We've got some answers, some changes to things that we said were important, and, and it's a good start. So one of the critical errors that I see when they do surveys is we sometimes just sit on the data and we say things like, well, those are all valid points, but we really can't do anything until we have more money in the budget. Some stuff may not cost any money. Some stuff is a policy change. Some stuff's a cha training change. Some stuff is a new employee orientation change, something we can do at the stroke of a pen. Let me read to you the kind of opening paragraph that I use, and I modify this occasionally with the Employee Quality of Work Life survey that I do. It says, this survey will help us understand the opinions and attitudes of the people who are working our organization. Please answer only for yourself. If you don't understand a question or don't want to answer it, just leave it blank. Thanks for your help. Your answers will remain anonymous. And then here's just some sample questions that, that we have put in in past surveys. Again, I customize these, whatever the project I'm working on, for a library would be different than a school district. A school district would be different than a, than a private sector organization, et cetera. Number one, this is a one through five, one strongly disagree down to five strongly agree. I get personal satisfaction from the work I do in my job. 
Number two, I feel my work makes a valuable contribution to the success of our organization. Again, one through five. Number three, my physical work environment enables me to do my job effectively. Here's an interesting one. Four, the pay I receive for the job that I do is appropriate considering the work that I'm assigned to do. Get some interesting answers there, right? Number five, I believe the work I'm assigned to do makes good use of my knowledge and skills. Question six, my organization offers employee benefits that are valuable to me. Number seven, I believe I have a secure job with this organization for the foreseeable future. Interesting question, yes. Eight, my supervisor regularly lets me know what is expected of me to do my job effectively. Number nine, my supervisor provides the resources I need, equipment, materials, training, information, etc., to do my job effectively. Again, one strongly disagree, two disagree, three neutral, four agree, five strongly agree. Number 10, my supervisor gives me the individual help and coaching support I need to do my job effectively. And number 11, my supervisor shows appreciation for the contribution I make to our organization. Those are interesting questions. That's just the 11 there out of the 25 that I use or sometimes the 50 that I use. We can, from your perspective, change the questions and, and focus on certain areas, whether it's it's uh, how people feel in terms of morale, how people feel in terms of advancement, promotion opportunities, lots of things that we can focus on. So the Employee Quality of Work Life Survey is one area where you can get a lot of information in a short period of time if you want to address the entire workforce in one, one single project, use the Employee Quality of Work Life type of survey design. So we've talked about the power of surveys. There's the employee quality of work life, employee quality of work life survey process. There's the employee uh, security survey that I do. It's about 10 questions or so that ask what their primary security and safety concerns are. I do a site security assessment of libraries, and that's a survey uh, process as well. Building maintenance may do a survey for you. IT may do a survey for you. A physical survey. The fire marshal may come out and do a physical survey for you. You may need to have an ADA compliance uh, professional come out and do an, an ADA compliance survey for you. There's lots of ways that we can capture information that we get from our patrons, from the community, from our employees, lots of different sources. So community surveys, uh, surveys about programs and services that we are offering or should be or could be offering. Uh, things that we may offer the community for free, uh, whether or not they may want to choose to use fee-based uh, programs that we can charge a, a, some amount of money for uh, to get them into door, depending on the complexity of the project. Maybe a survey is a way to ask those types of questions. So again, the more information we can gather in a structured way, rather than just guessing, the better decisions we can make going forward. There's something in management called paralysis by analysis, which means we can look too hard and too long at things and m miss some opportunities to make some good changes because we've, we've wasted time and, and not done what we need to do. The survey process needs to have an end date. So when you create a survey, you say, we're going to get it to all employees. They have two weeks or 10 days to complete it and get it back to us. You're giving a survey out to the community. Maybe it's over the telephone. Maybe it's done electronically over the Internet. Maybe it's done through um, um, cards that we collect from focus groups. Maybe it's done by, by surveys that we collect from patrons who take the time to fill out the survey for us at the branch when they come to visit. We need to set an end date for when those things are because stuff can, can drag on. You say, are we still working on this project? We should have had this data completed and, and analyzed two weeks ago. So make sure we set an end date. 
Now, we usually, uh, for the employees, will sometimes create a cover letter, maybe for the community as well if you need to, to explain things. A cover letter that says, here's the reason for this survey discussion, here's the reason for the survey project, here's the goals we're trying to, to meet by doing it, making sure we spend our resources and our money and time effectively, and that we're doing things on your behalf that you're telling us are important to you. So we want to quickly gather the, da the data, accurately gather the data, and that's one of the values of doing things um, by having um, software uh, like SurveyMonkey, things like that, to be able to do it online. You can get the results tabulated quickly and the error rate is pretty low. Uh, I've done lots of hand surveys where I enter the data myself and sometimes you get a little tired and you know, make clerical mistakes and you can screw up a, a perfectly good survey. So sometimes when we have uh, employees entering survey data you know, electronically into the, into the computer, make sure we have some check rides and some correction uh, overview and audits that we're putting in the right kinds of data. And when we have a, a survey process, um, we want to analyze the results and maybe turn it off to a, to a small group discussion of employees before we give it to the larger group. Maybe it goes to a leadership team or a safety committee or a service committee uh, for a discussion before we turn it over to the larger group. And then the comment questions are really, really key, and, and there are some pros and cons to the comment question. Sometimes with the comment questions, people go on for pages, and they're frustrated and angry at the organization or angry at a coworker or a boss, and they really use that opportunity to vent. Uh, sometimes people use the comment section as a way to kind of be goofy. They write in stuff that, you know, I, I want a rocket ship that takes me to Mars. I'd like a two-hour lunch. You know, can we have scotch in the break room? Sometimes you see that stuff and you say, okay, those aren't comment questions or, or comments we're going to put into our final report. Sometimes employees are just goofy. Sometimes employees don't have any comments. They're satisfied with the survey process, the questions themselves, and they don't put any comments in. So maybe sometimes, depending on the length of the survey and the complexity and how long it takes to fill out, you know, 50 questions is a lot of, a lot of thinking about certain things at work. That takes a long time. They just don't have the energy for the comment questions. It's certainly possible that some employees don't believe you when you say that the survey is anonymous. They don't think it is, and they believe there's retaliation. They don't think it's confidential, that somebody's going to read it and be able to identify them. That's one of the reasons I like doing the survey online, having the comments typed in by the employee so there's none of this, you know, I recognize that handwriting type of thing that some supervisors may want to do. Um, sometimes the questions or the, the, the comments in the, that section lead to more questions about stuff we can't necessarily fix in, in one fiscal year. Uh, sometimes people go on and on about stuff which is really pie in the sky and difficult, difficult to fix, but we want everybody's information. Sometimes there are long comments which have very useful information in them. We just have to pick it out. We have to go through and really pull out those things that are the most important out of the person's comment and say, what are they really saying here? And then when we look at some of the comment question, uh, comments in that section, they can be echoed by other employees who say, you know, this theme comes up over and over and over again. Uh, one of the things I do a lot in my survey reports is a keyword search. How many times did this keyword come up? If the words, you know, the key phrase sexual harassment comes up, you know, 325 times out of 324, 26 employees, we've got a problem. So when we look at, at keyword search, sometimes we can find positives and negatives that come out of those words and phrases that the employees have chosen to use over and over again, which suggests the repetition means a theme we need to address, whether it's a positive issue or a negative issue that we need to address with, with enforcement, discipline, policy changes, consequences, whatever it happens to be. 
you probably have some experience in your life, a lot of experience in your life, taking various surveys online. You buy a car. They send you one afterwards. Uh, there's always a, a telephone survey that you're supposed to do after you have some kind of interaction with your bank or your insurance company or credit card some company, something like that. Most people ignore that stuff. I remember in the old days, we used to have comment cards, and people would put their information on a comment card and put it in a suggestion box. That things, uh, those things are kind of obsolete and not done very much anymore. Um, suggestion boxes typically um, in the old days would be, you know, two or three cards that were very useful and 15 that weren't. So the survey process itself is designed to make it easier for people to give us information, whether it's employees or patrons or people in the community, in that kind of moment when they're most likely to do so. So, you know, if you give a survey to an employee at the end of their workday and you say, okay, you have 15 minutes to fill it out, they're going to race through it and, and, and give you the shortest answers possible. Whether it's the community or whether it's the employees, people need time to look at the questions, think about them, and then think about their results. So the survey design is really critical. And, and if you have long, complex questions, if you have long, complex scenarios before you ask the question, people get, get tired of reading all that stuff. It doesn't mean you have to dumb it down, but you have to really be careful about the design to say, shorter is better, read each question aloud, read each question in a group environment, small group environment, say, are we capturing the essence of what we want from this particular question? How do we fine tune it so that we do? We want to get a valuable answer. That's what the survey function is for. One of the challenges in surveys, especially from the tabulation and the things related to the software part of it, is that we have some of these choose all that apply kind of questions. So there may be you know, 10 things on the screen, click on all of these that apply to the question we just asked, and that makes the survey really, really complex. Sometimes you can get the same information by just asking maybe three or four questions instead of having that sort of check all the boxes type question, which is difficult to, to process. Also, I think the other factor is sometimes we may ask loaded questions. And loaded questions are ones where we're trying to fish for an answer. And that's not what we want to do, positively or negatively. We're not looking for, for you know, um, uh, kudos or complaints necessarily. What we're looking for is an honest assessment of the employees to say, here's what we think about the particular issue that you're asking us. So we ask a question that's not designed to force them into type of, a, of an answer that we're looking for. So I'm far from a statistician, I'm an English major, so I'm, numbers is not my usual game. But when I look at surveys, sometimes one of the issues that comes up with, with management is say, well, we have an employee population of say 150 employees in our library or 60 or 50 or something like that in our library. How many people do we need to, uh, to ask these survey questions? And so the question there is, well, if you have a, a small group of people that you can ask in, in your entire library and your entire workforce in your library, then do it. Nobody wants to be left out of the process. People get suspicious when they say, well, why was I not you know, asked to answer these questions? What's wrong with my answers? But sometimes in the community, we say, well, we have to keep this at a manageable level. And so here's an interesting kind of a, of a, of a fact. Uh, the famous Gallup poll, which is a national poll which has been around, I think, since the 50s, only asked 1,500 Americans what their particular opinions are about certain things. So you can get a really good cross-section of, of the community if you said, we're going to focus on 500 people in the community or 1,000 or, or somewhere in those types of numbers. We don't have to ask, you know, if you have a town like I live in a town of 170,000 people, you don't need to do a 170,000 uh, survey program. Just maybe you do, um, you know, 1% of that or 2% or of that would be maybe a really good cross-section to get the type of answers that you're looking for. So size of the survey is not necessarily uh, the only thing that gives you good, good results. Good questions, good tabulation, those are what 
typically gives you good results. If you've ever been involved in a focus group survey where you sit in a room with other adults just like you and you're looking at a product or a service or they give you samples or maybe it's a food to eat or something that they, they show you a, you know, a, a clip from a movie that's about to come out, um, they're, they're really skilled at, at keeping people on task and getting the information in, in a short period of time that they're looking for. And again, they don't need to ask you know, a thousand people in, in the community if, if uh, 200 might be the, the, a number that's more useful and is a good cross-section there. And one of the things I've seen in, in surveys that go out to the community is sometimes we have kind of a low response rate. Someone, you know, uh, doesn't answer because they're busy. I've seen this work really well. We put a crisp dollar bill clipped to each survey. Person takes it out of the envelope and it comes from the library and says, hey, here's a buck. You know, it's not a million dollars, but here's a dollar. Put it in your in your pocket. Could you do the survey for us? And I've seen that the dollar bill clipped on there work really, really well as a driver to get people to return the, the survey. We want to make it easy, for, especially for the community, right? We're, we're not paying them like we are paying employees to, on their work time to do a survey. We're asking the community to fill out the survey and return it to us. So make it easy for them to do it. I mean, all they need to do is, is you know, color in certain boxes or circle certain letters or check certain boxes, things like that, and put it in this post-paid envelope. It comes right back to us, easy peasy. When I look at, at the survey process, sometimes it's easy to rationalize certain answers that we get as, well, we're working on that. And I think you have to be honest and say, we need to work on it faster, or it's a significant issue in the community or amongst our employee population that we need to be better at it and not just say, well, that's in process or we're going to get around to it one of these days. If you're tabulating the comment questions in an employee survey, it's not necessary to write out every single one into the final report. You can pull out key phrases, you can pull out key quotes and put that in the final report. And when I look at the report, typically I will say, here is the raw data, right? The, either the percentages of the raw data of everybody that answered, you know, question one. You know, 80% of people chose question or answer four, and 20% chose answer five. Those are great. Those are positives, right? Another question. You know, 80% of the people chose number number two, and 20% chose number one. Those are really bad bad answers, and that's something we want to focus on. So what we're looking at is either percentages or the raw numbers of the of the survey data attached to each question. So what I typically do is a report will have the the question. And then it'll show the breakdown one through five, you know, one being um, least, least likely or least happy, up to five most likely or most happy. And then look at the raw data or the percentages there and say, okay, we can tell right away this is something that's either, it's either neutral, it's in the three zone, or it's strongly against in the one, two zone, or strongly four in the four, five zone. Those things uh, we can look at not having to have a statistical background to be able to interpret the survey data, anybody who looks at it. So with that and the, the comments questions pulled out, we can get some keyword searches and some themes that come out of the comments. And we'll come up with a report which can be read by city council, county board of supervisors, by employee groups, by union groups, even by the, by the community for some projects um, that says here's exactly what folks are telling us who work at the library and what their, what their feelings, what they feel strongly for and against all about. Uh, you can get into more detailed dive on the numbers with cross tabulations and correlation coefficients and all that fun stuff. If you have people that are that are mathematically minded, that are statistically minded, that might be able to do some really deeper dives, that's useful. But most people just want to see the raw answers, either the percentages or the raw numbers, and see how they connect to what their colleagues have said and look at a cross section of the comments and say, I agree with these comments or these are comments that I recognize that I've I've said or my colleagues have said or I disagree with the comments and that's what the value of the report is. So you don't necessarily have to put every single comment in the report, just pull the ones that are the thematic 
parallels, the ones that are coming up most often in the repetition, and put that into the report that's for review. If you're a manager or supervisor, you may have been exposed to something called 360-degree feedback. And 360-degree feedback is a fairly interesting, challenging, even complex process of assessing how we look at ourselves in the workplace. And so usual 360 feedback says, if you're a supervisor, you will assess yourself using some type of instrument. My dad uses one called that he designed called Leadex. So we'll use the, the Leadex instrument to have you assess yourself. Then if you're a supervisor, you'd have your employees assess you. Then, then your boss would assess you top down to, to you, right? And, and if you look at 360 degree feedback, it's coming from the employees below you, it's coming from your boss above you, and it's coming from yourself. Uh, when we see this in organizations that really do a deeper dive, you know, we get, we get employees assessing each other, we get the CEO assessing, or the, uh, the library director or the CAO assessing himself or herself, and then being assessed by everybody. There's lots of ways you can do it. So 360-degree feedback says that you're getting it above and, and below you, especially if you're a supervisor, manager, or a director. Well, one of the problems with 360-degree feedback is it takes thick skin to read the results. Some people get really, really angry when people are actually truthful about how they perceive that person's leadership style. And it, it causes some consternation when people get you know make rationalizations or they get defensive and they say well that's not how I usually am and these people just don't like me and and they say stuff like that in reality what it says is I don't agree with the results even though they may be true and this is not not the medicine that I want to want to drink right now this is not the, the news I want to take as a result in my experience when I've done a fair amount of 360 projects is that people won't do them more than once they'll do a 360 degree survey and then they say well I got information or, or answers about myself as a boss I didn't want to hear, and so we're not doing that again, and that's very common that it's a one-and-done type of a project. One last thing about 360-degree surveys, don't think that the employees don't recognize the fact that they've only done it one time because they're cognizant of the fact that some supervisors don't want the answers that they got. That's why we do it in a one-and-done, and the message to the employees is don't give us bad news. Let's switch over a little bit as we come to our conclusion and talk about community surveys. Lots of ways to do that. You can hire a focus group that can do things on-site at the library. Uh, maybe they set up a, uh, an off-site location where they bring in people that are frequent library users or not-so-frequent library users and spend an hour or so, hour and a half, talking with them about what they want or what they need from the library or what, what different things they'd like to see. There's usually some type of financial reward, a little gift card, or you know they provide food or something like that to get folks to come. You can uh, do uh, community surveys kind of at a grassroots level. You give out survey cards at, at the library and collect them from people as they come and go. Uh, you can do brainstorming sessions with certain community members. You can ask the friends of the library or library boards to, to uh, suggest people that you may want to do specific focus groups with. So these are really facilitated sessions. If you've got a good facilitator in your library, somebody who can do these types of things can be very valuable. You can also hire somebody uh, to do that type of stuff as well. Uh, employees could do uh, online surveys just like the community can do online surveys. So we design a, a survey which is attached to our website and it maybe has five questions or six questions and, and the community can put in uh, their answers plus some comments as well. Maybe we do things by mail. It goes out to the community. They mail stuff back to us. Maybe we do things over the phone. Um, there's lots of ways to do it and there are 
our marketing groups out there that, that focus on the survey process where you say, what are we trying to determine and who is the best audience for us to talk to in the community? Is it a, is it a, a, a section of the community that we've not served before, it's underserved? Is it a part of the community that uses the library a lot or doesn't use the library a lot? Tell us why you do or don't use the library as much as we'd like you to and what kind of things should we be offering people to, to get them to come to the library more often. So a lot of those things can be done in the community survey process. So we're looking at really two sides of the coin. There's the employee quality of archive piece and then there's the uh, community piece which gathers a lot of information from our frequent or not so frequent library users. So you can tell by my exuberance in this conversation for this podcast and my phrasing the power of surveys that I really believe in them. I like the information that I get, sometimes warts and all, we get positive and negative information, but we know what we need to fix, we know what we need to adjust. And as a consultant, many times I make an assessment of what I think the organization may need, whether it's security or leadership or policy or training or that type of thing. But I really am really much more comfortable when I'm supported by survey data that confirms what I heard from the community or what I heard from the employees before we make changes that, that affect everybody. So think about the power of surveys in your library, whether you start off with a short employee employee quality of work life, employee satisfaction type of a survey, or you go out to the community and say, let's, let's uh, pick a certain group in our community, certain neighborhood, certain zip code, a certain part of our community that we know that we need to do a better job of serving and ask them. Uh, in, a, in a more structured, formalized way, whether it's over the phone or face-to-face -face or, or um, suggestion cards that come in and we gather as they use the library or in a focus group type of a discussion, uh, ask them what they need and want from the library. Those can, things can be very powerful, making choices and decisions that make better use of your budget when you're doing it through this prescriptive, information-driven process. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. <laughs>